Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Ralph Sinclair and I'm the Frequent Issuers Managing Editor at Global Capital. I'm Oscar Larica and I am the Leverage Finance Editor at Global Capital. And I'm Mike Turner, the Corporate Bonds Reporter. And each week we bring you the most interesting stories from the world's capital markets. We have a new episode that comes out every Friday, so if you haven't already, please go and subscribe by searching for us on any podcast platform of your choosing. And if you thirst for more detail on anything we talk about, then visit globalcapital.com or, of course, get in touch by emailing podcasts at globalcapital.com. Now, August is often a quiet month in the capital markets, but this year it's not just the deal flow that's dried up. Uh, Mike, Oscar, you've written a fascinating story this week about lower water levels in the River Rhine in Germany and the bad implications that could have for debt markets. Um, Now, let's start off... uh, with the river itself. Now, Byron, Turner, Stolterforth, all great artists who have recorded memorably their vision of the Rhine in their time. Um, so what's your addition to the canon? What's the state of the river at the moment? Can you set the scene for us? Uh, yeah, so the water level is extremely low due to the high air temperature and the lack of precipitation we've been having across Europe, but particularly in Germany. And um, it's the lowest it's been since 2018 when a drought caused lots of problems in the, we'll, we'll get onto the nature of those problems um, and but 2018 was I think the lowest since 1920 or something like that wasn't it Mike it was um, already flagged as a bit of a disaster. Now you've got two two of these issues coming close together you know a couple of years apart rather than a hundred years apart. So, so how low is low I mean what what have we got any um, numbers for, for just what counts as the low water level? Yeah so it, it scraped along at on the 9th of August it, it was scraping along at 53 centimetres at, at the, um, the the Kalb choke point which is uh, the sort of benchmark area that gets measured to, to see this kind of stuff. Um, 130 centimetres is considered low so it's well below that um, and uh, German's Federal Institute of Hydrology, um, they reckon that it's it's going to remain about 100 centimetres for a while. So it's it's well below um, where it should be. Okay, so lower for longer, um, but now applying to rivers rather than interest rates. I, I, um, I miss it being interest rates. <laughs> yeah, I think we all it's do. Terrifying. Especially those of us with mortgages, that's for sure. Um, okay, so what does this mean? Um, you know, there's I guess there's a lot of companies uh, that... Uh, base themselves along the Rhine and it's a it's a big industrial transportation route isn't it well yeah that, that's I think we all had a, a taste of what sort of issues can come when a major issue uh, a major river is not in function when the Suez Canal was uh, blocked in in 2021 um, it can have major ramifications for um, goods being transported you know around the world but in in this case uh, throughout Germany and throughout Germany's industrial complex um, I think something like 5% of German goods go up and down the Rhine at one point. And then when you get into other industries like coal or chemicals or uh, these sort of heavy um, heavy manufacturing industries, then it's it's a much higher percentage because you can carry so much more on, on the Rhine than you can in, you know, in, in a barge ship than you could in a truck, for example. Yeah. Okay, so... I mean, how does this affect capital markets? Because that, that's really where, where we come in. Um, what, 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 does this, what does this mean for the corporate bond market and, and what's the effect? So for, 
for corporates, there's a few companies that are already flagged as being directly affected. Um, ratings agency Moody's, for example, um, has, has already highlighted a few names. Um, uh, a pharmaceutical company Bayer, for example. Uh, there's a chemical company Lanxess. Um, BASF as well. Um, they are all sort of dotted around the Rhine with production uh, facilities. And the issue is that um, these companies either can't get the, the, the raw materials they need from the Rhine, they can't ship out the materials that they're producing, or in some cases they can't, they need the water to, to be able to function uh, properly. Um, and, you know, if you can't get all these things which your business relies upon, from where it's situated, then you, you know you're going to come into problems. And these are all big investment-grade bond issuers, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They've all got um, massive amounts of debt. Um, 66 billion, somewhere around that region. 66 billion euros um, collectively, including loans, including bonds, and you, you know, so these aren't these aren't small uh, names at all. People people know them and know them well um, when it comes to when it comes to the bond markets. Uh, the thing is, though, is at the moment, it's worth noting that we're not at sort of catastrophe levels yet um, when it comes to these companies and their bottom lines. Um, uh, a company called Covestro, for example, had to reduce its EBITDA by 50 million when this happened in 2018. And 50 million euros sounds like a lot of money, but uh, Covestro's 2022 EBITDA is, is above 2 billion. So it's, it's kind of a drop in the ocean. But the issue, f the issue here comes in if it lasts for a long time, then those costs go up, um, and this is not just c happening in an isolated world. 2018 was was kind of the good times, and this is now happening at the end of COVID, or or while COVID is still very much happening. Um, we've got this sky high inflation that we haven't had for a generation, um, and we've got rates rising, which makes debt more expensive for everyone. So what has been the effect then on the bond market so far? Have we seen yields and spreads going out for these particular companies further than they might have done before? Well, spreads have moved so far anyway that it's kind of hard to pick out a, a single thing that might have might have made the impact. But at the moment, um, there hasn't been there hasn't been too much uh, change. But you know, as I mentioned, the longer this goes on, the more this is going to inf impact um, these companies' bottom lines and the way that investors see these companies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, Oscar, this is the the top of the credit spectrum we've been talking about. We would expect these companies to be able to cope with any number of crises. Um, has there been uh, an effect lower down the credit spectrum on uh, less well-rated companies from this? Yeah, well, um, I have to say my assumption about this was a little bit wrong. Um, when Mike and I first started looking into this story, my assumption was there'll be a lot of private equity-backed businesses kind of in the mid-market that are relying on the Rhine. Um, and it turned out not to be so true, like the, the sort of leveraged finance bankers and uh, people in the market that I spoke to said that it, it's not really a big part of PE portfolios, it's more the kind of heavy goods um, I mean, there was an except. There's an exception to that. There's the Rome Holding, which is owned by Advent International. It's like a resin resins coating um, producer, uh, which had an impact in 2018 uh, when it was still part of its parent company. Um, we, we haven't seen the numbers since it's gone private, but you'd imagine there'd be 
feeling a little bit of pain. Um, but again, it's part of the whole spiral of things, kind of regional supply chains been disrupted for the last 18 months with availability of local trucks and that kind of thing. So this obviously just adds, makes a bad situation a bit worse, but I don't think it's quite at the point of um, having a material impact yet, even in leveraged finance. Right, and I guess as well, uh, a lot of those companies you were talking about, Mike, and, and indeed um, uh, a resonance producer, uh, they will all be, they're effectively part of a supply chain, aren't they? So it's not simply these companies in isolation that we should probably be worrying about. Yeah, that's it. We, we've had a long time uh, now getting used to the fact that semiconductors, for example, are in short supply. Anyone who's tried to buy any major electronics or cars over the last year or so um, has probably had to wait longer than they would have expected. Um, and now this is this is another um, important strut of the supply chain that's been kicked away, particularly in Europe. Yeah, one thing I um, did want to highlight, there was, there was one sort of class of private equity investments, and it is a very small number, uh, but there were a couple of investments a few years back in uh, Rhine River Cruise operators, and uh, there's reports that they're having to kind of think about their routes a little bit and uh, could have a, a slight material impact, but it's uh, obviously a niche case. But, that, but um, you know, uh, a significant one in the sense that this is an industry that presumably has been hammered by the lack of tourism over the last couple of years as well. Yeah, exactly. Again, it's sort of coming at the worst possible time, just as they're starting to trade again. Okay, so what remedies do we have? Um, Oscar, when we were chatting before, you um, you suggested perhaps rain dances, and I guess I guess that's certainly one thing that could be doing. But is there is there, uh, is there anything else these companies can be doing uh, in the meantime to cope with the low water levels, seeing as, uh, I guess, you know, it might be more frequent now, and it's certainly not going away in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, well, um, back the ones that were affected back in 2018 have made some kind of capex investments in uh, adaptation, uh, which, uh, for example, investing in barges that sit lower in the water um, can obviously operate in these kind of conditions. Um, and BASF invested in a sort of closed loop cooling system, which is means it's less reliant on the temperature level of the Rhine to be able to use the cooling system because there's legislation in Germany if the water temperature is too hot um, they're not allowed to make it hotter essentially by um, using it to cool down the plant. And this actually just just uh, as a side point as well this is something we've we've seen in France with uh, EDF Energy they also have um, they had to slow down production at four plants um, along the Rhone and along a, another river in, in France because uh, the water was too hot, so they, they couldn't use it to cool their reactors. Um, so this isn't just limited to the Rhine shrinking in Germany. This, we're seeing the effect of heat on waterways uh, you know, across Europe. Yeah, do you think this is the first time we've seen something in Western Europe that's, that's like the impact of global warming on industry in the manner sort of for, that's been foretold by the ESG doom-mongers for years. I, you know, we've always had this um, argument presented to us that the the costs of not doing something um, green or more sustainable uh, will be felt in years to come by not being able to operate or, you know, businesses just not being able to work. And is this is this the first sort of big example of that, do you think? Uh, well, 
at the moment, companies are kind of seeing it as the cost of doing business. Um, but there are others who we've spoken to for the piece who see this, like you say, as the start of something much more serious. Maybe this is the first time we've seen the real signs in Western Europe. Um, somebody we spoke to from Moody's actually highlighted uh, a parallel with a study their colleagues had done on um, hurricanes in the US. And they said that it's actually starting to affect their methodology, that they no longer see the hurricanes as sort of one-offs, but they start to build them into as a kind of recurring cost, which I suppose shows you a difference in the way that um, businesses are assessing climate risk. I guess that adds a new sort of string for use of proceeds, bonds perhaps, if, uh, if companies have to, like BASF, do capex for sort of climate mitigation, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. It, it, I, I can't imagine we'll see like a new um, type of green or ESG bond because investors have repeatedly said that they, they just don't want that um, and they get wound up having to get their heads around a new, um, you know, a whole new set of documents and a new set of meanings and, 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 and whatnot. But it, it could definitely be one of the big problems with green bonds, for example, is that companies and issuers just don't have enough green um, projects to spend stuff on. So, you know, there's only so much you can raise in green bonds if if you've got nothing to spend it on. So, you know, if this could fit into that, that would be, um, as far as the capital markets go, uh, that would be a, a, certainly a new avenue for raising funds, for sure. So what are the uh, short-term implications for this, Oscar? Well, people that we spoke to can see more advanced forecasts than us um, that go sort of five weeks into the future. There's not a lot of rain forecast, so we don't, they don't really expect the situation to get much better um, and, in fact, to get quite a bit worse in that period. And after that, who knows? But it's, uh, the river is usually at its lowest in autumn, as I think uh, Mike mentioned earlier, so there's still a way to go. Well, corporate debt and ESG capital markets are a big focus for us at Global Capital, so be sure to stay tuned to the podcast or get along to globalcapital.com to see how this story plays out. I'd like to thank Mike and Oscar for joining me for this edition of the podcast, and we'll be back with more from the capital markets next week. So thank you very much for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.